Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll be starting with verse 25. A well-known parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. One semester, a seminary professor set up his preaching class in an unusual way. He scheduled his students to preach on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And on the day of class, he choreographed his experiment so that each student would go one at a time from one classroom to another where he he or she would preach a sermon. The professor gave some students... 10 minutes to go from one room to the other, others he gave less time, forcing them, forcing some of them to rush in order to meet the schedule. Each student, one at a time, had to walk down a certain corridor and pass by a homeless man who was deliberately planted there and obviously in need of some sort of assistance. The results were surprising and offered a powerful lesson to them, the percentage of those good men and women who stopped by to help was actually extremely low, especially for those who were under the pressure of that shorter time period to get to the class in order to preach the sermon. The tired of the schedule, the fewer were those who stopped to help the man When the professor revealed his experiment, you can imagine the impact on that class of future spiritual leaders rushing to preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan. They had walked by a beggar at the heart of the parable. It happened so easily, even to someone who had just studied this passage. We're going to talk about why that could be as we go through these. Uh, this passage, beginning with verse 25. Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, first off, note that he... he didn't uh, stand up to inquire of him, to learn from him. He was there to test him, to bring, to challenge him, to bring uh, any kind of doubt and unbelief in what Jesus was saying, what he stood for, who he was. He was there to test him, and therefore him calling him teacher was not sincere. But he was a man of letters and and did what was considered proper and when addressing a man like Jesus, even if you didn't agree with him like this guy did not, uh, 
He still referred to him as teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You wonder what he thought Jesus might say. Because he was trying to test him. He was trying to trip him up, right? The Bible doesn't say what his intentions, what his original plan was. But we do know that his plan went awry. Because in, in verse 26, uh, Jesus responds with, well, what's written in the law? You're the legal expert. You're the expert of the law. What does the law say? He's like, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? And in verse 27, the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Good answer. This comes from Deuteronomy 6.5, for anybody interested. And considered by Jesus to be uh, the two greatest commands in the Bible. Everything else, every other command in the Bible hangs on these two, is supported by obeying these two commands. To love God with, uh, with our whole heart, our whole soul, all our strength and all our mind. To literally love God with, uh, it literally means out of our whole heart. The seed of passions, the drives, the interests that, that is focused on God. God takes the highest seat in our heart. The highest seat of our affections. We're supposed to love God with all of our soul. The soul in this case is 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 is, is translated as life in, in multiple other verses, such as Matthew 20, 28, Acts 20, 10, and so on. It is talking about who we are, what we are here and now, our life. The essence of who we are. Let me back up. Do people uh, do people look at you and go, there goes someone who loves God more than anything else? Do people look at you and say, does it, yeah, there goes somebody who, who, they're, they're clearly a Christian. And they'd love to find fault with you, but they just can't. To love God with all of our mind, our, our mental faculty, our understanding, uh, our, our intellect, our knowledge, our study. Do people go, there goes somebody who knows God's word and loves God's word. I just finished a book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, a wonderful story of a, of a Muslim man who, who gave his heart to Christ and, and uh, 
he talked about his interactions with some Christians uh, who really didn't know the Bible, didn't know what they believed. In fact, often he knew more about the Bible than they did. And so it was easy for him to dismiss Christianity because they didn't even care to even know about their own book. The Bible is more than just just a, 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 a collection of information. There's, it, it, it's a living word of God. Just reading it breathes life into us. I know when I read it, I, I feel encouraged. I was reading another book. I, I've, I've memorized scripture on and off over the years. Um, and I'm trying to get back into it because I, the future could be challenging. And I, fam, I may find myself in a place where I don't have access to a Bible. And so I'm going to want to memorize as much as I can. There's one... Uh, Christian who lived under a Soviet Union, I say, you know, encourage, memorize as much as you can because that memorized scripture becomes a great comfort to you when you're in prison. God's word, it, it, it is special, it's joyous, it feeds us. I had one, one woman I react with surprise when she found out she was expected to read the Bible more than once. I'll just read it, just to so, you know, so, say I read it, and, and then that's good, right? That's all I need to do. It, it, we're, you're starving yourself if you're not reading the Bible every day. Love God with our mind. Love God with all of our strength, our might, our physical our might, our ability to, to, it's more than just physical strength. It's what we're strong at. Our talents, our skills, our abilities. That word it encapsulates more than just physical strength. Um, using that for God's glory, loving God with that. And so he said a good thing, you know, yes. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and, and your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> that word neighbor is interesting. That, that word literally means one who is near, one who is nearby, close by. And it's a little confusing to me because there's nothing ambiguous about the word we translate in English as neighbor. There's nothing ambiguous about it. It means someone who is near you, physically near you. And the lawyer asked this question. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up to... Verse 28, Jesus said, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
But wanting, 29, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That word justify is interesting. It indicates the wheels were already turning in his head on why he's, he may be falling short because he hasn't been loving his neighbor as himself. There's been somebody else, whether it's somebody of a different race or a different class, or maybe just a guy down the street that he doesn't like. There's somebody in his mind. And so he's trying to justify himself. Well, who is my neighbor? We already know the answer to that by the word they use. It's very obvious. But Jesus does a little more than just direct him to the definition of the word that he, he as a law expert should already know. Uh, in verse 30, Jesus took up the question and said, a, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. We see this even today. It's, it's, it's seemingly, if I haven't looked at the statistics, but the news makes it seem like this kind of stuff is going on even more frequently than before. Even saw a video of an old man in a wheelchair getting mugged and knocked to the ground and his possessions taken from him. This road that Jesus was talking about uh, was about 17 miles long, and it was a very dangerous path to travel. It was steep. Jerusalem was about 2,300 feet above sea level, and Jericho, which is near the Dead Sea, is actually about 1,300 feet below sea level. This means that person traveling uh, from these two towns would travel on a wilderness, desolate road that dropped 3,600 feet in altitude. Narrow paths, ravines, almost inaccessible cliffs, the caverns and sudden turns on this road made it ideal for thieves to ambush travelers and steal their money. They could ambush their victims and quickly flee almost beyond the possibility of pursuit you really took your life into your own hands when you traveled on this route. Travel was so bad that the road was named the Red Way or the Bloody Way. It was like a gauntlet of greed and danger. In fact, in the 19th century, it was still necessary to pay safety money to the local sheiks before one could travel on it. So they knew the road he was talking about. They probably knew some people who've been mugged or killed by robbers. And here we see, I. Uh, first off, we see a, a, a the threefold misery of the man, and later we're going to see the threefold attitude of those who came across him. But we see that they, they stripped him of his raiment. I was trying to find a picture 
of the Good Samaritan. This one's by, by Rembrandt. Um, but most of them, the guy was uh, mostly naked. They didn't really want to show. <laughs> but it was that's historically accurate. The guy was, was stripped of his clothes. Ever since the fall of Adam, this world has been a den of thieves. Every man's business, more or less, is to just get out of others what they possibly can. I, this, I, current philosophies, including nihilism or neo-nihilism now, this, I, uh, in, in, in this philosophy, there really is no such thing as morality. It's whatever benefits you. And that is exactly the philosophy that's being encouraged and taught right now. Every man for himself. And only those... So it's called, the modern term is neo-nihilism, but it's been around. That idea has been around since, since the fall of man. And since then, only those taught of God can look not at their own, but at the good of others. All who fall into the clutches of sin and iniquity are sure to be stripped of their raiment of righteousness and of their garment of praise. The devil is seeking whom he may devour. I see a lot of people that it, who fall far from God and 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 are just in shame. Notice that they, they not only showed him his clothes, but they, they, they hurt him. They beat him. And it, it, very likely that he received his wounds while trying to protect himself, his desperate attempts to withstand the robbers. And our own strength and wits are a poor defense against the onslaughts of evil. The morally wounded and disabled in the battles of life are found lying everywhere along the highways of life. Moral wounds. They've been talking about that in, in the military. People dealing with moral wounds. So many people have have sunk into the, the, the ditch of despair and stripped of their reputation and having their hopes, hopes and prospects wounded to the death. Just no hope. They're broken. And he was also half dead. In this wretched condition, he was so badly hurt that all he could do was just wait and pray. 
either waiting for death or waiting for the compassion of some loving heart and kindly touch of some neighborly hand. To be half-hearted about anything is to be half-dead in the matter. And with regard to things eternal, how many are half-dead and quite unconscious of it? They're backsliders. So many naked and wounded and half dead. And that's what we find with this man. So, verse 31, a priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on his side. Nope. When he saw him, he came up to him and took care of him. Nope. He passed by on the other side. He steered clear of the broken man. In this priest, we see uh, perfect indifference. This priest was doubtless on his way home from the temple service and the discharge of his ceremonial duties. He, he's very punctual and, and just kept going. Saw this needy dying brother and kept going on his travels. This priest who spent his life uh, following the law the boxes, attending all the Sabbaths, fasting when it was necessary, feasting when it was, when it was required, doing all the things that he was supposed to spend his life doing all these things, and, and he's in a position of honor, and he sees a broken man. And has no time to be bothered with such things. And you have verse 32. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, saw him, and saw him passed by on the other side. The Levite. Levites are a lesser order a priest, or not priest, but lesser order uh, serving the temple. Whereas the priests make the sacrifices, the Levites take care of the provisions, the cleaning of the area. They're the support team. And this man, having served in God's temple and, and done menial tasks, you think he wouldn't mind so much helping somebody, but no, he... He's not going to do that. <clears throat> Nothing more than interested curiosity for this Levite. 
some people like that. They're a little inquisitive about those out there who may need help, but there's no compassion. I've had people that were all talk. One guy bragged to me how good a mechanic he was and how much he did. And, and I said, that's fantastic. You know, once in a while, we, we, we come across elderly people who could use the oil change in their car. You think you could help with that? Oh, no, I'm too busy for that. This Levite go home that night and probably told his family the story about this poor man when he went home. He might even have prayed for him. Lord, help that man that I saw today. Whatever he used to justify his contact, I'd conduct, I don't know. I'm in a hurry. It's too dangerous. Clearly, there are robbers about. I need to get out of here. It's not safe. We don't know, but we do know that he passed by the other way. So then verse 33, the third person to come by. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. When he saw the man, he had compassion. Now that's significant because the priest and the Levite were Jewish. We assume this man is Jewish. There's a broken man. Here's a Samaritan come up. The Samaritans and the Israelites did not like each other. In fact, last Sunday I talked about that, right? Samaritans rejected Jesus because they knew he was going to Jerusalem to worship. So they rejected, they, there was this hatred between both groups. The Samaritan man put that hatred aside and saw this man in need. He had compassion for him. Um, verse 34 he went over to him and is something burning Hi. sorry about that Verse 34, he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. That's an investment. Investment of his time and of his money. He showed compassion 
on this man. We can safely assume the Samaritan had uh, experienced being despised by the Israelites. They wouldn't talk to him. Maybe even threw out some insults. Maybe even physically assaulted. We don't know. But he put all that history behind him. When he saw the man, he had compassion and was moved to help him. And that, more than anything else, I think, reveals the love of Christ to this world. When you show such compassion upon an enemy. During World War II, towards the end of it, I... American and British forces were taking ground and the the Japanese were in retreat and they left a group of their own Japanese men who were too wounded to to move very fast so they just left them there to die. And British forces came in and they saw this group, just broken men. And, And they... They walked up to them and, and they took out some bandages and water. And, and the Japanese men were scared at first. They didn't know what was, going, what was going to happen. And they began washing their wounds and giving them water and giving them food. Much to the Japanese men's surprise. Showing compassion. On your enemy. The Good Samaritan bears the features of Jesus who comes to seek and save the lost. Notice some characteristics Samaritan shares with Christ. First off, number one, he came where he was. He came to the broken man. Christ comes to us right where we are. Thank God for that. In our stripped and wounded condition, we can do nothing for ourselves. Christ comes to us. Number two, he had compassion on him. His heart was moved toward him. The, the salvation of Christ was, uh, w- was heart work. The Bible says he loved us and gave himself for us. Number three, he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And although we were full of wounds and bruises, Christ can bind and heal. Praise the Lord. And this he does by the oil of his spirit and the wine of his word. Number four, he set him on his own beast. And, and just like Samaritan Jesus lifts us up. And sets us on an honored place where we are called the sons of God. Number five, he brought him to an inn. And the saved of the Lord find shelter and new friendships in church. Whatever form that may take. It may be a house church. It may be a big, giant church. 
or a small church like ours, but there's a group of other believers to encourage and strengthen and help and feed and care for. And a lot of new Christians, there's a lot of healing to be done. Number six, he, he took care of him. Jesus, too, cares for us. Number seven, let the promise concerning him. He told the innkeeper, I'll be back, I'll repay you. And so Christ makes a promise to us that he'll return. Then in verse 36, Jesus said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer had to admit the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. D.L. Moody uh, tells a story of a knight Jervais Scroop, who received 26 wounds in the Battle of Edgehill and was left for dead in the heaps of the slain. The next day, his son Adrian went and dug through the bodies looking for his father's corpse. And when he found it, he realized his dad's body wasn't quite cool. And so his son, son began, took him home and began working on him to, to, to heal him and restore him. And in actually, he, he came out of it and lived for another 10 years. There are many souls left as dead among the slain, along the highways of sin. They're everywhere in our community. But we, anybody diligent can seek out and rescue these souls. <clears throat> and we're often surprised with, with who we come across and, and, and what happens if we let God lead us to the right person and we can change their life through the blood of Christ. When I was at a Bible college, I was young. I was probably 18, 19 years old and working security for the school. And the man in charge of our security department had a couple of guard dogs, a couple of Rottweilers that he was taken to an obedience school to get trained to be a good guard dog. And the guy in charge of school was this rough looking guy, greasy black hair, long black hair and a ponytail, big rough looking guy. And my friend, I went with him to the school. And my friend turned to me and said, do you think if I gave him a track that he would take it? And I said, probably not. But he gave it to him. And he took it. And the next week when they went to the school, he gave this, this guy another track. And then another week went by, he gave him another track. After a month or so, 
this man ended up giving his heart to Jesus Christ. And then his family followed him and gave their hearts to Jesus. His whole house was saved and completely transformed them. The guy was smiling. You never seen him smile before. He was always smiling after that point anytime I saw him. I was, I was naive to be dismissive and think, oh, he won't care. We never know. We have to try. We have to get out there and check the bodies and make sure they're really dead. It's gruesome work. But it is so worthwhile. Servants Heart Chapel, we, we've, we have a history of having done a lot in the community, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. We've, we've saved elderly people from being homeless. We've clothed the naked. We've fed the hungry. We even had a, 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 a food pantry here for a while when it was needed. It, there was a great need for it, so we started one. We shared the gospel. I would challenge you this year to find a need. Let me know if you see someone, anyone who may need something some way, somehow, give me a call or text me. That's the way it used to be in our church. I would get phone calls from people in our church say, hey, this person is going through some tough times. Let's continue doing that. And let's pray that God would lead us God would give us divine appointments because I would also like to see each and every one of you be given the wonderful privilege of leading someone to Christ. It is a wonderful, amazing experience. Let's do the same as this Samaritan. Let's make Jesus proud. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.